Welcome to Center Ice, the Hockey Alberta podcast, home to all things hockey in our great province. Now, here's your host, Ted Emmett. Hello and welcome back to the Center Ice podcast. I'm your host, Ted Emmett. Thank you for joining us once again. Really excited for episode 21 as we're just on the heels of the 2022 Olympic Winter Games in Beijing. And at least when this comes out, just at the start of the 2022 Paralympic Games, also in Beijing. So of course, that's really what this episode is going to be all about. And I guess... If podcasting were an Olympic sport, I'd say we'd have a gold medal winning roster for this one and uh, a pretty bad joke to start off the podcast, but that's okay. Uh, We'll just roll with it. We're going to kick things off with an interview from former Team Alberta netminder Emmerin Smashmeyer, fresh off her gold medal with Canada's national women's team. And we're also lucky enough to catch Zach Lavin from Canada's para hockey team just before he took off for Beijing for his first Paralympic Games. And with a bonus third interview this episode, Kara Spady sat down with three-time Olympian Megan Mickelson. I know my gold medal roster joke was pretty bad, but at least it was true. So with that, let's get right to our first guest. So joining us now is a very decorated former Team Alberta goaltender, beginning with a gold medal at the 2011 Canada Winter Games for Team Alberta. She's been a mainstay in the crease for Team Canada, winning gold at the 2012 IIHF World Women's U18 Championship and has made five appearances in the Women's World's Championships, including a gold medal in Calgary in 2021. And of course, as of just a few weeks ago, she can add Olympic gold medalist to her resume I'm, of course, talking about Bruderheim, Alberta's own Emeryn Smashmeyer. Emeryn, I'm sure your life has been nothing short of a whirlwind since coming back to Canada. So thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. So first off, a huge congratulations. I I think it's safe to say every Canadian hockey player's dream is to one day wear the maple leaf on their sweater at the Olympics and to have a gold medal hanging around their neck. So even uh, just a short while later, has it really sunk in yet for you that you are an Olympic champion? I mean, it's it's been surreal. Uh, like you said, it's every you know Canadian hockey player's dream to wear the maple leaf and to win an Olympic gold medal. And uh, I mean, every day it's sinking in a little bit more, but it's still it's a dream come true. It really is. And you're no stranger to high pressure situations. Again, going back to to your intro, you've represented Canada uh, and your province too on on a lot of different occasions. Uh, even dating back to winning the Alberta Winter Games way back in 2009. <laughs> of course, have to throw that in there. As well. So you've represented your province on the national stage, your country numerous times on the national and international stage. Uh, You helped lead Harvard as well to the championship game of the 2015 NCAA National Collegiate Women's Ice Hockey Tournament. So starting from your roots right here in Alberta, how much has all of that experience really helped you prepare for what is arguably hockey's biggest stage at the Olympics? Yeah, I mean, like you said, I've had, you know, the opportunity to represent my province, in my country many times and fortunately I've gotten the opportunity to play in many gold medal games so um, you know it's funny because lots of people have asked me how hard is it to focus on one game at a time especially when you know what's on the line and you have to win every game and I'm like it's just been kind of part of my career you know you focus on one shot at a time one period at a time and one game and uh, yeah I think all the practice that I've had leading up to this point had really prepared me well for the Olympics. And again with short-term competition another big 
big uh, difference, I guess, than just uh, playing for a team is having to come together as a team very quickly. But in the case of the Canada's national women's team, you're probably very familiar with a lot of these players. So you kind of have a, a leg up in that sense going into the games. But with all the veterans on the team and this being your first Olympic experience, how did you lean on them and how did their experience help you prepare for both on and off the ice, really what the Olympics would bring? Yeah, so I think what many people don't know is we're actually centralized together as a team this season. So we got together um, actually mid-July for our world championships, and then we stayed together all season leading up to the Olympics. So uh, we're fortunate enough to have the support to do that. We, you know, we played together uh, in games against junior A hockey teams uh, in BCHL, the AJHL, and then we also played against US throughout the year and also went down to Helsinki to play against Finland as well. So we've had a lot of time to, you know, come together as a team and figure each other out. So when it came to the Olympics, we were ready to go. And short-term competition, again, is is a best on best. And I can only imagine what it would be like to compete in the Olympics against the, the very best of the best. So as far as the on-ice competition went, uh, was it, uh, if at all, different from any other competition you've com- you've been a part of? I think that's what's really cool about the experiences. You know, you, you dream of the, the Olympics and it's, you know, kind of this myth and you can't really like a mystical monster or whatever you want to say. It's like, how is this going to feel when we get into this competition? Um, it's kind of honestly like the lead up into the, the Olympics. We were all like, what will this feel like once we step on the ice? And what's crazy about it is once we got on the ice, it felt like any other event and we realized how prepared we were. And I know some of the girls had played in the Olympics before and some four. <laughs> But many of us were, it was our first Olympics. So we just didn't really know what to expect. And honestly, what we found out was when we stepped in the ice, it was just like our world championships, just like a four nations, like any other tournament we had experienced before. And I'm sure, you know, you had a very busy schedule, obviously. And with the obvious state of the world right now, things might have been a little different than any other Olympic year. But still, how much of the overall Olympic experience were you able to take in? And what was that off ice experience like in Beijing? I think, you know, people had asked me or like told me before the Olympics, you know, it's unfortunate you're experiencing your first Olympics during a pandemic. And the way I thought about it was I had nothing to compare it to. So for me, I was just so excited to experience all of it. I think the one thing that I wish would be different is, you know, having my family there to celebrate with me. But I think in many ways, they were just as involved as they would have been being there. But yeah, I think the entire experience, just, you know, the opening ceremonies, the closing ceremonies, just living in the village, going to the calf, like the cafeteria and meeting other athletes from different countries. Um, it was very similar to, I think, what it would have been in other years. But like I said, I don't really have much to compare it to. So um, it was a blast. And I know everyone's probably very sick of talking about COVID at this point. We're almost two years in, but really is all, <laughs> has become like a part of everyday life. And I know, I guess if there was uh, to wrap up what it was like, the Olympic experience playing with COVID, I think you can point to that game against Russia where uh, pretty peculiar even as, as a fan to watch and, and see the players come out with masks on so I can imagine <laughs> as a player you know uh, a little bit of a I guess a weird thing to have to ad- adapt to during the games but probably again going into these games you knew things were going to be a little different and something like this might happen yeah I think with COVID we've all become very adaptable and I think 
you know, leading into this competition, we actually practiced with masks on. Um, that was more for safety and kind of more precautionary leading into the Olympics. But it honestly worked out in the end because we ended up having to play with N95s. Um, but it was quite the experience. You know, it was my first Olympic game starting in net and it ended up being an hour delayed. Um, so we ended up starting our game at 10, 15 p.m. China time and uh, playing my first Olympic game with a mask. So Quite a memorable moment for sure. Um, and I know like I, I heard from my family, everyone was wondering what was going on, how the players were in the locker room. And it's funny because uh, in the locker room, we ended up having like a dance party. Like we had people performing and line dancing and we were just trying to stay light and also probably stay awake at that time too. <laughs> so it was honestly one of my favorite memories of the Olympic Games, which is quite interesting. Yeah. And that's, again, I thought it was, uh, you know, an interesting, unique, very memorable moment. And again, maybe <laughs> not necessarily memorable in in the way you would want it to be but you know yeah. I think that's a big part of short-term competition as well I know our coach mentor Barry Midori calls them thunderbolts and probably made you just come together even more as a team right yeah our team you know I think we thrive on like these situations where it, you know something comes up that we don't expect and um, it's been happening for the last couple of years and especially this season we've kind of had to change routes many times and that was kind of another scenario where we're like okay sure why not we'll play with Matt <laughs> like no big deal. And I don't think I need to tell you that the pressure that comes with wearing that maple leaf on your sweater and representing Canada in hockey, really at any level, but especially the Olympics. And on paper going in, this was a very, very good team Canada and really one of the most dominant performances at an Olympics I think I've ever witnessed. Uh, you know, and of course you get to seal that that performance with a gold medal against rival USA for a really outstanding TV audience as well. So what does it mean to you and for the team to have the opportunity to not only represent your country, but to be able to showcase women's hockey at that level to really the entire world? Yeah, I think, you know, the Olympics came at a great time for us, um, especially with the last couple of years um, with our league folding, our professional league, and then having a couple of years of COVID where there's been a little bit of a lull and not having a league, but playing in the PWHPA. And it's been kind of a tough uh, world for women's hockey. But I think having, you know, seeing the viewership at the for the games and the amount of support that we had, you know, it really reassures that what we're doing is, uh, is great for the game and that we do have that support. And it's, you know, Know, it's awesome to see for us we saw a lot of support on our social medias and people reaching out and seeing how we're impacting even the youth and kind of the mindset behind women's hockey and how important is it for you personally to to be that role model for young aspiring female athletes not even in just in hockey but really in general all over the province and the country and to show them just how far the game can take them yeah I think it's incredibly important and for me every time I you know I receive a message or hear from a young girl or meet a young girl or a young boy you know just hearing how we have inspired them. Um, I think it's incredible. You know, I, growing up, I had some people that I looked up to, but I know for the women's game, it there wasn't very, there wasn't a lot of visibility for the game. And so for me, it was generally my sister who, you know, I lived at home with and could see, you know, striving to reach her goals. But I think just having, you know, seeing, having kids looking up to us is important. And of course, we'd have to tie back to your Alberta roots. And I'll admit, 
you know, I did not know where Bruderheim was or, or hadn't really heard of it until I started working at Hockey Alberta. Not exactly a booming metropolis, uh, but how does <laughs> it fair feel? Enough. Yeah. And I hope I'm saying that right too, because again, uh, the, lots of Alberta towns that I, you know, being from Calgary didn't know about, but how does it feel to come from those small town roots and have the, the opportunity to represent your small town provincially, nationally, and really all over the world? Yeah, I mean, Bruderheim is a very small town and um, it's a huge hockey community. And so um, I feel, yeah, in, in incredibly humbled and honored to be able to represent such a small town, but we're, you know, a town where I, um, my game really started blooming. So um, just being able to like even give back to the community is really important to me. And I know they, uh, they were very excited about the games. I know there were viewer viewing parties every single game and they had signs all up all over the town, the Olympic rings. Uh, my dad put on fireworks you know it was just it's so fun to see how the community rallied around the games and how much do those alberta roots mean to you now that you've gone on to play professionally and have and will continue to represent canada both even from your grassroots days uh, all the way to your time with team alberta yeah, I mean, I've, I've had I've met some incredible people along the way through my journey in Alberta and growing up minor hockey playing in Alberta. And I've had so much support. And like, really, this is where my game really grew. And um, as I got older, obviously, I, the small details of my game got better. But where I really, you know, became a hockey player was in Alberta. So yeah, I have so much pride um, in Alberta for sure. And lastly, kind of on that note, do you have a favorite memory from your time playing in Alberta, whether it is maybe winning the, the Canada Winter Games or just something general, something that every time you went to the rink, you know, you still have that fond memory that stands out in your mind? I think Canada Winter Games is an easy, yeah, an easy one for me. Um, yeah, winning in 2011, I believe it was the Canada Winter Games, but it was in Halifax. Uh, but we were kind of the underdogs who ended up winning the tournament. So uh, I think that was a pretty... Yeah, pretty awesome moment for sure. And sorry, I said last question. I do have one more though, just because I'm I'm genuinely curious. Um, now that you're you're back from Beijing, uh, what does the the future hold, or what now even <laughs> do the next couple of weeks look like for you? Obviously, being on the Hockey Alberta podcast is a, a big pinnacle. But uh, what's that next <laughs> step now? Being a, a an Olympic gold medalist, what does that look like? Yeah, it's pretty crazy because you come back from the Olympics and it's like everything I've planned has just been to get to that pinnacle. And now it's like, now what? <laughs> right. Um, but really, it's just about celebrating with my family and kind of getting out. I'm going to go head to the mountains for a few days and kind of relax a little bit. You know, we've been competing for a while now this season. And even the last couple of years, we haven't really had a, a moment to digest everything. So um, I'm just going to take some time and uh, celebrate with my family and then get back training eventually this summer. Perfect. Perfect. Well, this time that one was the last question, so I won't keep you too long. I know, again, like you just said, trying to decompress, probably have a lot of other media obligations. So we can't thank you enough for taking the time to chat with us, share your Olympic experience. I know it's uh, if you follow us on social media, it's great because we always get to brag about uh, the former Team Alberta goalie who's representing Canada so many times. And it's great to have an opportunity to, uh, to hear your story. So uh, especially with it being so fresh in your mind from the Olympics. So I think I speak on behalf of everyone from Hockey Alberta and really all of Alberta when I say congratulations once again on Olympic gold and thank you again for taking the time to do this. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. A huge thank you again to Amarance Mashmeyer for taking the time to chat with us almost immediately after returning to Canada as well. So a pretty cool opportunity to hear from an Olympic gold medalist with the experience still so fresh in her mind. 
So now we've covered the after part of the Olympics. Let's go to the before part. As I mentioned at the top of the show, Zach Lavin took some time to chat with us ahead of the 2022 Paralympics. So without further ado, here we go. Very excited to be joined by a member of Canada's para ice hockey team. And just a day before he heads off to the Paralympics in Beijing, it's Okotoks' own Zach Lavin. Zach, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Thank you for having me. So as I just mentioned, Zach, by the time this episode airs, you'll be in Beijing with the Paralympic Games kicking off on March 5th. But as we record this, you're heading to China tomorrow. So first off, to get the obvious question out of the way, uh, your first opportunity to represent Canada at the Paralympics. So how are you feeling knowing that you're a day away from China and just a week away from the Games? Um, I think now it's finally setting in, you know, we got the COVID tests out of the way, which I was just really happy to get the negative there. You know, that's the world we live in, but uh, it's setting in now. I saw this morning, the whole team in the Lulu gear and getting to the rink, packing up and everything. So I'm very excited and I'm honored for this opportunity. And going back to, to 2019, there was an article uh, that I read back then and, and again, getting ready for this interview before the Para Hockey Cup in Newfoundland about your para hockey journey, um, how quickly you picked up the game and how your goal was was to play for Canada at the 2022 Paralympics. So reading that this morning, you know, obviously brought a smile to my face. It must be pretty great to put your goals on paper like that and be able to look back and say, hey, I did it. Here we go. Yeah, um, it's kind of funny. You know, you look forward to making the team originally and then you set new goals of actually, you know, getting some solid minutes and contributing to the team. And I'm so excited to finally be named to this roster. But now it's, it's go time. You know, we've been training so long for this. We've been through the Zoom calls and COVID and cancellations and I'm just really excited with this group of guys to get out there and just play some hockey. And again, you, you mentioned the team and your first trip to the Paralympics, and I know it is for a number of other players as well, but also a lot of veterans on the team, both on the ice and on the bench. So um, how, how have they helped you prepare um, and kind of figure out what to expect in Beijing in terms of both the on-ice competition and just the experience of the games as a whole? Yeah, it's been amazing. You know, on my line right now, I have Greg Westlake and Tyler McGregor, both absolute legends in the sport. And uh, they've been really awesome with navigating, you know, the off ice stuff to limit the distractions and then focusing on that on ice, you know, everything we've been training for to make sure that I'm primed and I can help them on that line. And I know for a lot of para ice hockey players, they get into the sport after maybe experiencing an, an accident or disability and having previously played hockey and had hockey in their blood for a while. But if I'm not mistaken for yourself, you know, you played pretty much every sport except for hockey until the last couple of years here. Yeah, um, it was kind of like after my accident, I felt like I got a second chance at life and I just wanted a fresh start. So I ended up at a Good Life Fitness in Okotoks and met uh, Okotoks kind of famous guy there, Chris Cedarstrand. So he had kind of been on the end of his career and, you know, I caught him in good life and he brought me out to the rink and introduced me to sled hockey for the first time. And uh, I was instantly hooked by seeing his speed and the way he could maneuver the puck. So I got, I kind of got carried away with training with him. And uh, yeah, when I first made the team, I had the skills and, you know, the fitness for it. But yeah, the hockey IQ part was pretty big because I had never played hockey before. So having line mates, like I'd mentioned earlier, that are experienced has been a big help with figuring that aspect of the game out. And I know, you know, para hockey compared to ice hockey is a is a big adjustment and can be for a lot of players. Did you find too, maybe uh, that's why even going back to that article I read where your teammates said that you picked up the game very quickly. Do you think in a way too, that that was almost a bit of an 
advantage for you being a, a multi-sport athlete, but not not having hockey be one of those? Yeah, I think it was. I think it was big. Uh, so I had uh, you know that baseline of just being relatively fit, so that helped out. But yeah, I definitely lacked that hockey IQ, like I said. So the mentors that I had, you know, Coach Steve Arsenault and Chris you just ran at the start, and now my line mates and coaches here were huge in that actually helping me contribute to the line and being a part of the game. But as for the off ice training and the weightlifting, I was definitely pretty comfortable with that at the start. And we're seeing para hockey constantly grow here in Alberta and across the country and all over the world. Uh, for yourself, how did finding para hockey and playing really help you adapt and persevere to your life as a as a double amputee? Yeah, it uh, it's been huge for me. Just meeting the group of people that are in this organization and the people that have helped me get to this level has been unreal. After my accident, you know, there's a lot of things that you go through. And I remember even sitting at the uh, physical rehabilitation place, uh, learning how to use my prosthetics. And there was these two amputees that had been there for a while. And one of them had this kind of go-getter attitude and was just, you know, really optimistic. And I remember seeing him get up and walk and get out of there pretty quick. And the other one had an attitude, you know, kind of the poor me attitude. And uh, I, I, I kind of felt bad for that person, tried to help him out a bit, but saw where that would take me. And just being around the people that I've had the honor of meeting through hockey has really helped me just kind of look on the bright side and just go out and get it. And your story is a, is a really inspirational one because just about seven years ago, your life did change forever. And I know you've obviously had your ups and downs, but again, for those athletes out there who may or may already have experienced the same kind of adversity, you know, for yourself, how did you push through that? And really, you turned a tragedy into, uh, in this case, playing for Canada in Beijing, the opportunity of a lifetime. Yeah, I, uh, I think the biggest thing is, uh, you know, the people you surround yourself with. So I've been gifted with an amazing family that helped me out a lot. But as well, I, I, I went to seek out mentors that were successful people and people that maybe had been in similar situations as myself. And I try and learn and, you know, model my actions off of theirs. So try and just take the tough times and digest it, but make sure you have goals that you set forward so that you can get after those achievements. And uh, I know you're about to probably make one of, one of your best hockey memories, but leading up to now, um, and maybe it is playing in Newfoundland, but do you have a, a specific memory or something so far that just stands out for you in your time playing para hockey, whether it's with Canada or, or through your training or just the people you've met along the way? Um, oh, there's been, there's been a lot of amazing memories. One of them I remember that was pretty unreal was uh, playing in uh, Paradise, Newfoundland, actually, like you mentioned. And uh, it was my uh, very skilled teammate, Liam Hickey's close to his hometown there. And uh, I remember passing him a puck as they were announcing him having just scored a goal as he sniped his second goal. And that was in a pretty amazing moment to share with him in his hometown. And then um, just off ice, meeting all these people from cancer survivors to, you know, people that fought for our country and seeing how they took tragedies and turned them into something triumphant and how they're carrying away with their lives. It's been pretty amazing to just see that and try and take what I can from their stories. And going back to when you mentioned uh, Chris Cedarstrand, again, uh, another, another like you mentioned, kind of famous Okotokian and, and a great story there and how he took you under his wing and introduced you to the, to the game. Is that something in the future too? Maybe one of the next steps for you is becoming kind of going to the coaching mentor side or are you kind of focused on playing again the, in four years again at the Paralympics and, and keep on playing for Canada as long as you can? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, definitely focused on Beijing. You know, we got a task at hand and, uh, 
you know, the Americans and Russians are good teams. So excited to compete there. And that's the focus. But uh, looking past that, it would be pretty unreal to give back because of what hockey has done for me and how much it's improved my life. So uh, I know Chris Hederstrand's working with the PX3 program with Brad LaSalle. And uh, in the future, I think it'd be pretty unreal to get into a coaching uh, coaching role, but not a top priority right now. Definitely want to focus on producing on the ice with the teammates there. Yeah, I guess uh, after winning a gold medal, the next goal would be winning two gold medals, logically, right? So uh, going back to the Paralympics again, because it is the, the pinnacle for any para-athlete and how important are the Paralympics and really any major competition to celebrate those athletes who have overcome adversity. Um, so how important is it for those athletes, but also to inspire again, those athletes out there uh, who do have a disability to show them that they can still be a, a top tier competitor? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's huge. You know, uh, during this pandemic as well, I think we saw a lot of uh, uh, younger programs losing their access to sport and seeing how detrimental that was for people's mental health and just physical well-being. And I think uh, there's a lot of kids out there that maybe because of their disability think they won't get those same benefits through sport. But I hope when they see us out there, um, you know, training five, six days a week and giving it our all, that they look up to that and they reach out to the grassroots programs and try to find opportunities to do the same. Oh, and, you know, I started with an obvious question, so I'm going to end with one as well. Uh, Just what would it mean to you, uh, both personally for your personal journey, but as a Canadian uh, to, to win a gold medal wearing that maple leaf? Oh, it's just, it's an amazing feeling just to put the jersey on, to win a gold medal in hockey playing for Canada would be the most amazing thing I think I could ever achieve in my life. I mean, there's people from coast to coast that are with you, supporting you, and oh, it would be the most unreal moment of my life, I think. Well, you know, we obviously wish you the best of luck. We won't keep you any longer. I imagine there's a lot still on your to-do list before you take off for China tomorrow. Uh, But thank you again so much for taking the time to do this interview with us, to share your story with us. Uh, Pretty cool to get to talk to an Olympic athlete before the games, and and hopefully we can talk to you again after with uh, a gold medal hanging around your neck. That sounds awesome. We'll go out and give a good competition. Again, can't thank Zach Lavin enough for taking the time out of his busy schedule the day before leaving for his first Paralympic Games. So again, pretty cool now to hear those before and after experiences from a pair of Olympic athletes. And hey, now we get to hear the experiences of a three-time Olympian, uh, now an Olympic broadcaster as well. But we'll get to Kara Spady's interview with Megan Mickelson in just a few minutes because... As always, we're going to take a look at what's going on in the hockey world around Alberta. So here's what you need to know. And a lot going on around the province in the month of March, so bear with me here. Lots of great stuff to get through. Of course, the Hockey Alberta Provincial Championships presented by ATB are just around the corner. The first tournaments kick off on March 17th and will continue the next two weekends after that. So very excited after a couple of seasons off for obvious reasons from the provincials. So to be able to see so many communities have the opportunity to host the provincials again uh, is amazing. We're very excited for that. So head to haprovincials.ca for a full list of host communities and dates. And with the 2021-22 season coming to a close, nominations are now open for the Hockey Alberta Awards, 
which are now also presented by ATB. So welcome ATB as the presenting sponsor of the awards. It's a great opportunity to recognize the person or people in your community who have made a major impact on the game this season. You can head to hockeyalberta.ca to find the awards nomination form. The categories include volunteer of the year, coach of the year, player of the year, official of the year, and team of the year. Hockey Alberta is also excited to announce the Hockey Alberta Summit, which will run June 10th to 12th in Red Deer, and would like to welcome Sprung Arenas, Stantec, and Canna as the presenting sponsors of the summit. This is a summit for all Hockey Alberta member organizations. Uh, They're invited to attend for a weekend of development, education, and networking. So information on registration for that for MHAs uh, and members will be available soon. And you can help celebrate the class of 2022 at the Alberta Hockey Hall of Fame Induction Gala, which goes Sunday, July 17th at the Coast Hotel in Canmore. The class of 2022, which was originally introduced as the class of 2020, and then the class of 2021. Again, I I don't think I need to say why that is, but they, they got pushed back for obvious reasons. But now we get to celebrate Bill Busick, Cassie Campbell Pascal, Bob Clark, John Davidson, Dr. Randy Gregg, Ken Hitchcock, Jamie McCown, and the 1974-75 Lethbridge native Suns. So a great induction class there. It's always a, a fantastic night out in Canmore. So if you'd like to join us for that, tickets for the induction gala are on sale now at hockeyalberta.ca. And yeah, when I said there's lots going on, I meant it. So if you're listening to this in time, there's a great professional development opportunity available for both current and aspiring officials or really anyone who just wants to to learn more about para hockey as Hockey Alberta is hosting a para hockey officiating webinar on Thursday, March 10th at 6 p.m. And that'll be on Zoom featuring Tara Chisholm, the head coach of Canada's national women's para hockey team. So with the Westerns and Nationals being hosted in Alberta coming up, this is a really great opportunity for officials to officiate at some major events and of course, add to the growing network of para hockey officials in Alberta and across the country. It's a free seminar and really anyone's welcome to attend regardless of your experience as an official. So if that does interest you and you're listening to this before March 10th, head to hockeyalberta.ca for more details. And if you're a graduating U18 player or the parent of one, Hockey Alberta is also hosting a What's Next session on Wednesday, March 16th at 7 p.m. This one will also take place on Zoom and is free, and it's a great informational session for players and parents on the different options and opportunities that lie ahead for the next step in their hockey journey. Whether that's continuing to play at any level, coaching, officiating, or anything else in the hockey world, A number of Hockey Alberta staff will be leading the session to answer any and all frequently asked questions. So again, if that one interests you and it's before March 16th, head to HockeyAlberta.ca for more details. A quick congratulations to Hockey Alberta's Coach of the Month for February, Cody Hughesby, the head coach of the Red Deer U11 Chiefs. So in addition to being one of Alberta's top officials, Cody's been coaching in minor hockey for the last five years. And make sure you get your nominations in for March for that coach who makes a difference in your community. And they could also win a $500 coaching package from Players Bench Team Apparel, just like Cody did for being the coach of month of the month for February. So you can find the nomination form at hockeyalberta.ca. And last but not least, we'll end with some good news for the Hockey Alberta Foundation, as they'll once again take part in the Shaw Charity Golf Classics Birdies for Kids program presented by Alta Link. 
So for every donation made to the Hockey Alberta Foundation through the Birdies for Kids program, the donation will be matched up to 50% by the Shaw Charity Classic. So if you'd like to donate to the Foundation's Every Kid Every Community program through Birdies for Kids, head to hafoundation.ca for more details. And yeah, that was a lot, but that's what you need to know. I'm here with Team Alberta alumni, professional hockey player, three-time Olympian, broadcaster, wife, and mom, Megan Mickelson. Thanks for joining us, Megan. How's it going today? It's going great. Yeah, I'm uh, sitting inside a warm house in uh, freezing cold Alberta, so I'm I'm doing good. Just the love of winter, hey? (laughs) Megan, your career is ultimately a long list of accomplishments. Give us the Cliff Notes version of how you got your start in hockey and where it's taken you. Yeah, so I started skating when I was four years old. I played ringette for a few years before I started playing hockey when I was six. Uh, I was at the outdoor rink with my younger brother and he was uh, having an outdoor practice with his Tim Hortons hockey team. Um, And I saw them all playing hockey and said that that was something that I wanted to do too. So from that day on, I just, I developed a love for the game and enjoyed playing hockey growing up. Um, I have many great memories from growing up in St. Albert, um, being a part of St. Albert minor hockey. I always played all boys growing up because there was no girls teams, which is crazy to think about. Now we look at the, the female system and how much it's grown uh, and it's really wonderful to see. So grew up there. Um, once I graduated from uh, high school, I got a full scholarship at the University of Wisconsin. I played four years there, was lucky to win two NCAA Division I national championships. And then once I graduated, I was invited to my first senior national women's team camp, which is crazy to think about. It was almost 15 years ago now that I went to my first uh, Team Canada camp. And from there, uh, I just had a tremendous career and I'm extremely grateful to have played in seven world championships, three Olympics. And yeah, it's uh, it's been a whirlwind and it's crazy to look back and think that it's been 15 years, (laughs) Um, but uh, it's been an amazing experience. Yeah, it's crazy because it's been 15 years, but it's been neat because as fans, we've all got to watch you grow up inside the game, essentially. Can you talk about the impact growing up and playing hockey in Alberta had on your career? Yeah, it's, um, you know, I think being a part of the minor hockey system, I learned how important that is for young kids and for youth and to have development opportunities, uh, whether it's going to tournaments or or camps and things like that. So, you know, I run a camp every summer in Okotoks uh, because I know that growing up, how important those camps were for me to have, you know, that exposure and to have role models as well, I think was, was really important for me. You know, I went to, uh, uh, my senior year of high school, I played at, it was the NWHL, it was called at the time for the Calgary Oval Extreme. And I played on a team with players like Cassie Campbell and Danielle Goyette, Kelly Bouchard, some of the the greatest female hockey players that have ever played our game. And, um, you know, so I was exposed at a young age to what it took to be to be great and and to excel in in female hockey but you know some of my greatest memories come from going to zone five camps and trying out for zone five to play
play in the Alberta Winter Games and my experiences in the Alberta Winter Games. And then from there, making Team Alberta to play in the Canada Winter Games. I know that if I wouldn't have had those experiences, I wouldn't have made it to where I am today. I think ultimately I was scouted for Team Canada when I played at the Canada Winter Games. So, you know, I value, you know, not only my experiences in minor hockey, but my experiences, um, you know, with Hockey Alberta as well. Yeah, and really, Hockey Alberta gave you that first taste of national competition when you were with the Team Alberta program. When you talk about role models, I know for me, like I attended Shooting Star Hockey School growing up. And so we had a week that was just filled with girls hockey. And this was when Mm -hmm. the exposure was just starting to grow. So I had the opportunity to look up to girls like Cassie Campbell and Kelly Bouchard and Haley Wickenizer and got to see them in their element. Can you talk about some of your role models growing up and how the game has changed to now? We do get to look up to see the female role models and how you feel about being considered one of the role models. Yeah, I think for me, you know, and I look back and I think about camps that I went to, there was one at the University of Calgary. Uh, and I remember Haley Wickenheiser was there and and Danielle Goyette. And that was huge for me to be exposed to that. You know, back then there wasn't, there was no social media. You couldn't follow these players and see what they were up to or be inspired by what they're doing on a daily basis to become better. So you had to be, you know, physically present <laughs> uh, with them to witness that. And I was very lucky to to have that opportunity at a young age. I think I was 13 years old when I first went to that camp. And then, like I said, when I was 17 years old, getting to play on the Oval Extreme with those players and see that and, and the impact that it had on me. Growing up, Cassie Campbell was, she was always my favorite player. I wanted to be her. I wanted to play on Team Canada and, and do all the things that she was doing. Uh, I think she was one of the females that sort of set the standard for getting sponsors and and having more of a role in the public eye. And that was something that I really, really looked up to. Now, I think it's, it's great for young females because they have more access to the female hockey players. Many of them have a presence on social media, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. There's a lot more visibility in terms of, um, you know, marketing and, and advertising. Companies have made it a priority to put these females out there because they understand the value in, you know, how they serve as role models for young hockey players everywhere, not just females, but males as well. So I think that, you know, as a a female player that is now told that I'm a role model for younger players, I try to have the most positive impact that I can because I know what a positive impact it had for me as a young player. And, you know, it, it honestly, it's an honor to be able to have someone come up to you and say, you know, you're my role model. And I think it also, it encourages me and inspires me to want to be better every single day. Um, Because if I am a role model for someone, uh, what do I want that to look like? And I'm lucky that I have two children, you know, that I have to, I have to serve as a positive role model for them every single day. And, you know, I take a lot of time and and pride in thinking about what, what do I want that to look like? What kind of person do I want to be the work ethic? And, you know, how do you show up every single day? day. So, you know, I, I think it's it's a privilege to be able to have someone come up to you and, and say that, you know, you're their role model. And I think it comes with a lot of responsibility as well. Yeah, it's neat, too, because as you mentioned, you've had a 15 year long career as a professional player. So now girls coming up that are reaching those levels are coming up to you and saying, yeah, you're my role model. Like this is a <laughs> surreal experience for them now. 
But you did mention social media. And essentially, social media is a highlight reel of lives. So we've got to watch your highlights. But in your opinion, what have been the highlights of your career thus far? Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with you on social media and it being highlights. Um, that's why on my platforms, I try to be real and authentic and and not just share the highlights, but share the struggles as well and the challenges that I face. I think that, you know, that's something that's really important as a role model that you have to do. You have to be real and you have to be authentic and make everyone realize that it's not all sunshine and rainbows. It's it's really, really hard and, and life is hard. So I think there's a lot of responsibility in that as well. In terms of highlights for me, I mean, there's so many, I think like Canada games was a big one for me. Looking back, I don't, I don't think I realized at the time how, how much of a highlight it would be. That was, uh, you know, like you said, it was my first exposure to anything like that. Canada games is kind of like a mini Olympics uh, in terms of, you know, you're staying in an athlete's village, there's a food hall and you're surrounded by different sports and different athletes, but the best in the country. So that was definitely a highlight for me. We came in seventh place, which <laughs> was not an ideal finish, but I, I just remember how much fun we had. And I think, you know, that's important to to recognize as well. We didn't we didn't finish first, second, or even third, but we had a blast. And, and that's what I remember the most. And then obviously uh, winning a national championship at Wisconsin. That was amazing. Winning gold in Vancouver on home soil. There's, you know, for me, I was, you know, fairly young at the time. I, I was 24 years old and, you know, playing in my first Olympics in Canada and winning gold. I'll never forget playing in that arena. It was a sea of red and white, crazy Canadian fans, best fans in the world, in my opinion. And then also winning gold in Sochi. And for me, you know, I was a little bit older, more experienced. And, you know, it was it was a tremendous year for our team in terms of overcoming adversity. Uh, and that year, I think everyone remembers that game when we were down two nothing with, you know, just a couple of minutes left in the hockey game and coming back and winning in overtime. It's a game that will go down not just in female hockey history, but in hockey history. So being a part of that, but then also having the opportunity to play at the Olympics in 2018 uh, with my son there. He was two and a half years old at the time. Um, I've now I stepped away from the game twice uh, to have kids. My son's now six and a half. My daughter is three. And, you know, some of the greatest highlights I have are just being able to play um, and have my children in the stands. So a lot of highlights, very different. So I don't think I could put one over top of the other. I know you mentioned Vancouver 2010. I was there. You just talking about it like gives me the shivers because of the exp the experience and the atmosphere in that building was just bar none. Sochi, probably one of the best women's hockey games, comes back stories in sports, period. And then when you talk about 2018 having your son there, it's neat because I think you've actually become a role model to women in general about how you can step away from your career and come back just as successful after having mm -hmm. kids. So that's, I really respect that. And thank you. Yeah. For those who aren't familiar with your story and um, you talk about uh, the not so great things that you do share on your social media platforms. But in May, you suffered a major knee injury. And it was just after they had announced the centralization roster for the Beijing Olympics. Uh, and this injury took you off the ice for a number of months. But what made you decide to rehab and try to make the Olympics for a fourth time? Yeah, so I was I was named to the centralization roster on May the 13th. Um, and then I completely blew my knee out on May the 29th. 
just over two weeks later. And it was, it was pretty devastating. The injury was very serious. I completely severed my ACL. I tore my lateral medial meniscus, also tore my LCL and MCL. So my knee basically exploded <laughs> at the worst time possible. Um, you know, eight months out from the Olympics, uh, the initial prognosis of the injury was that it was going to be nine to 12 months before I was going to be able to get back on the ice. And, you know, it was really tough for me because I had, I had fought very hard to earn a spot on the centralization roster to try out for the Olympic team. Um, and I, I didn't want that to be the end for me, but I think the initial glimmer of hope came from, I was, you know, sitting at home, uh, watching a New York Islanders practice. Um, they had it on the highlights on Sportsnet and there was a player, Anders Lee, who's the captain of the New York Islanders. And uh, they were talking about how he had torn his ACL 12 weeks prior and he was already back on the ice. That was when I saw, you know, an athlete that had suffered a, a similar injury to me, but was back on the ice so quickly. So uh, I immediately thought I, I need to talk to this guy. I need to meet with a surgeon. I need to see how quickly I can get back. And so in meeting with the surgeon, I was told that, you know, it's possible maybe we could do six months. Um, and so I asked Hockey Canada, you know, after the initial prognosis, they said that, you know, they weren't going to centralize me anymore. It, there just wasn't enough time. Uh, so I went back to them after being told that, you know, I may be able to do it quick, quicker if everything went absolutely perfectly. Um, and, and I asked for a chance. And they gave me that chance. And going into it, they told me, you know, that there may not be enough time still. If you make it back and you play three or four games, and ultimately I, I did make it back, but they said that, you know, that still might not be enough time. Um, you know, and for people that aren't familiar with the centralization process, all of the players that are trying out for the Olympic team, there was 29 of us this year, uh, moved to Calgary at the beginning of August. And it's a five-month tryout process. So I ended up being back with the team for 10 days days before they picked the team. So having a 10-day tryout versus the other players that had a five-month tryout, uh, ultimately, it just wasn't enough time. But, you know, for me, I think that, you know, it's no secret that I'm getting closer to the end of my career <laughs> than I am to the beginning. And, uh, you know, I wanted to be able to look back and if that was the end for me, to be proud of what I had accomplished and to be able to say that I had no regrets and to know that I had given it absolutely everything that I could. Um, so for me, it was it was about defying the odds. I'm the type of person that if you tell me I can't do something, I'm probably going to say, well, watch me do it. Um, if you give me a challenge and you you set the bar high, I'm going to do my absolute best to jump over that bar. So uh, for me, that, that's what it was about. I knew that I couldn't base success on whether or not I made the team. So uh, success for me, like I said, it was about being able to look back and say that I had absolutely no regrets. And even though I was released from the team and there just ended up not being enough time. Um, I can absolutely say that, you know, I'm extremely proud of, of what I accomplished and what I did. And I have no regrets whatsoever. But I think it proved that we're capable of accomplishing so much more than we often think we are. Um, and the importance of setting the bar ridiculously high, because like I said, it, we're capable of accomplishing a lot more than we think we are if we put our whole body, mind, everything that we have into accomplishing something. Yeah. And like you said, the centralization process is long and it's rigorous and it's not for the faint of heart to begin with. So to come into that with 
like a devastating injury that you had and be able to come back. I really respected the mindset and your decision on how you reacted to not being named to the team, just in that your success wasn't measured by making the team. And I think that Mm -hmm. in hockey, so much of our goals are based around, and in sports in general, so many of our goals are based around the success of that public success and having our name etched on the roster, being in the record Mm -hmm. books, winning gold. But that's not necessarily it. There's small successes in the game. There's bigger successes than just being named to the team. But fast forward to the Olympics and a new Mm -hmm. door opened for you. (laughs) And you got to join uh, a former teammate and fellow Albertan, Shannon Zabados, on the CBC broadcast for the Beijing 2020 Olympics as a women's hockey analyst. What was that experience like? Oh, it was, I mean, it was a whirlwind. I think it was the day after I was released and I I got a call from CBC with the offer to, to go on the broadcast and cover women's hockey. And I had a little bit of experience. I was on a, a panel with Sportsnet for some Edmonton Oilers games last year. So I had a little bit of exposure to broadcasting and being an analyst and what that was like. So I knew that I loved it and it was something that I wanted to pursue further. So, I mean, to have that opportunity so quickly after everything that I had gone through and everything that had happened. It was something that I had to jump at right away. And it ended up being an incredible experience. Broadcasting is a lot harder than it looks like on TV. I think people make it look easy, but it was a challenge. And, you know, it was an opportunity for me to, to do something different and to start pursuing something else outside of playing hockey, but still within the game that, uh, you know, that I was really passionate about. So uh, it was a whirlwind. You know, I'm extremely grateful to CBC for having given me that opportunity. I remember the first time I walked on the set uh, and I looked over to Zabby and I said, this kind of feels like the first time we walked into the opening ceremonies. Like it's just so surreal and you can't believe you're there and you know, you get goosebumps and to be able to do it with one of my great friends and, and longest standing teammates, it was, it was really special. So we just, we had a ton of fun with it. I did have to pivot really quickly. Um, and make sure that I embraced my new role, uh, recognized that I was on a new team. I was no longer, you know, with Team Canada. It was Team CBC. We had our own own team there. And, and to just really embrace that role and, and to provide viewers with insight that they found valuable and interesting and entertaining. So I absolutely enjoyed it. I think it's it's opened up some more doors for me as well. So I'm I'm excited to see where the broadcasting path takes me. Yeah, it's exciting. And like I said, you really do embody hockey is for life. Hockey is your life. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. <laughs> it's a neat step to take from playing the game to being an analyst. And I think that to do it with Zabby, to do it at CBC on the uh, for the Olympics, it's kind of the same mentality as an athlete. Like you have to come in, you're up all night because you were doing the American mm-hmm. games that were usually in the morning. Um, you're still in Canada. So technically it's still our time zone. And you were trying to balance being a mom too. So yeah, very neat to watch you guys on the panel. And I think you guys did a great job of not only still cheering for your fellow Canadians, but um, bringing a really good perspective and outlook on the other teams as well. And that's the toughest part, I think, is you have to kind of stay neutral when you're doing the analyzing. But uh, now you have seen the game from a couple different angles and your journey is proof that there's room in the game for women. How important is it in growing the game to have female representation at all levels and in a variety of roles? Oh, it's huge. 
for me, you know, growing up, I always wanted to be the GM of an NHL team. And that was something that I never vocalized. I never talked about because I never thought that it was possible. But now recently you see women like Emily Castonguay, Cami Granado, uh, and what they're doing with as assistant general managers with the Vancouver Canucks. You look at Haley Wickenheiser with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And there are these trailblazing women that are leaving their mark in the game at an extremely high level and showing that they are great hockey minds first. And that's something that I think a lot of organizations are now embracing and are increasingly, you know, starting to try to incorporate into their organizations. And it's extremely important. So for me, seeing those women doing what they're doing, it's extremely inspiring. And it inspired me to be vocal about, you know, my passion and my aspirations and my goals. So I think that, you know, continuing to do that, continuing to to push the envelope and and to show that we are great hockey minds and that we do have a place in the game and we have a place at the highest level, I think is, you know, it's extremely important. Yeah. And just as you're saying, like, you're a role model already to so many, but you're talking about your role models now in Emily and Haley and Cammy, And so it's very neat to see how that representation is still so important at all levels of the game. And female hockey continues to grow. The PWHPA is still pushing for a viable, sustainable professional league for females. We're starting to see women in the managing and scouting roles in the NHL. National organizations are investing in their female programs. And the Olympic numbers don't lie. People want to watch female hockey. So how do we continue to build off the momentum of the game right now? I think continuing to recognize that women have a place in the game that we deserve to be there. I think the largest component of that is we do need a professional women's league. The time is now to build off of the momentum from the Olympics. We say it every four years, but I think right now we have the most momentum that we've ever had. So for there to be a professional women's league, there needs to be support. There needs to be belief. You know, there's there's a lot of work that's being done behind the scenes by the PWHPA and Jana Hefford and a lot of really incredible individuals that have have put their life into creating a professional women's league. But I really do believe that that's the only way that we're going to keep up momentum and that we're going to continue to grow the game. We're at a pivotal point where the game has grown so much. Like I said, when I was young growing up, there was no female hockey in St. Albert. We didn't even have a team. And now there's, you know, dozens and dozens of teams uh, and the registration numbers are, they continue to climb, but uh, there needs to be a professional legitimate women's hockey league and in order for us to continue this momentum yeah and like you said we say it every four years but right now people are watching our female athletes there's so many avenues to follow to support to watch if you could tell the young girls who are looking up to you anything what would it be i would say to believe in yourself and to set the bar high those are two things i think that you know to believe that you can achieve what you want want, but that no goal is ever too lofty and and the bar is never too high. And we have an incredible amount of potential. You just have to believe in yourself. Lastly, Megan, on March 8th, it's International Women's Day, a day to celebrate women in their growth and success in all their roles. I've talked to you a bit about this before, but how do you balance all your responsibilities and your roles as a professional athlete, career woman, wife, mom, hockey mom? Like... 
Well, the, the real answer is I do it one day at a time. <laughs> I take it one day at a time. Um, but, you know, I see myself as no different from any other working parent out there. We wear a lot of hats. There are a lot of different roles. Um, but I think mostly I just I just try to realize that, you know, I, I get to do everything that I get to do. I get to be a mom. I get to train. I get to be an athlete. I get to do the broadcasting and just, you know, how fortunate I am to get to do everything that I do. And in, in terms of balance, you know, I'm really honest with myself and checking in every day. If I feel like my plate's too full, then, you know, I do, I offload a bit and make sure that I'm, that I'm taking time uh, to take care of myself. You know, they say you can't give from an empty cup. So I always try to make sure that I'm taking time every single day to fill up my own cup, because in the end, I'm able to fulfill, you know, all of my other roles much, much better. I'm a better mom. Um, I'm more productive uh, if I'm filling up my own cup. So that would be that would be a great piece of advice, I think, to make sure that you're taking time to take care of yourself. Yeah, self-care is so important, especially in this mm -hmm. in this age where we are all so busy. But Megan, I could sit here and talk to you all day. <laughs> I do want to wrap it up, probably to respect your time mostly. Uh, but thank you for taking the time today to join us. It means a lot as you continue to inspire the next generation. And best of luck in what's next for you. Thank you so much for having me. So huge thank you once again to Megan Mickelson and Kara Spady for that interview. I think we all know the impact Megan has made and will continue to make on women's hockey in Alberta and really across Canada and the whole world. Uh, so really great to hear about her role models as well, the, the players that she looks up to and the way she tries to be a role model for the next generation of female athletes. And yeah, with that, episode 21 of the Center Ice podcast comes to a close. One last thank you to all of our guests, Emerence Mashmeyer, Zach Lavin, and Megan Mickelson, as well to Kara Spady. And of course, a, a huge stick tap for producer Steve, keeping things going behind the scenes. So thank you for tuning in once again. I'm Ted Emmett, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Center Ice podcast. For this episode and more, head to hockeyalberta.ca. If there's a topic you'd like covered on an upcoming episode, email info at hockeyalberta.ca.